My name is Taina <coughs> Evans, and I'm here today at a Paget Library with Frank Sedio. And it is for the Our Streets, Our Stories project at Brooklyn Public Library. So I want to first start by asking you, um, where were you born? Oh, well, I want to first start by thanking you for giving me the privilege of being a part of such a wonderful idea and a great program. You know, there's many, many times that we do a lot of things that are recorded and not enough times that people realize they exist. And this is a great way to have a legacy for, for the library and the people who use it. So, so I was born about eight blocks from this building on the corner of East 83rd Street and Glenwood Road. And I grew up my entire adult life in Canarsie, which is where that is. And I had uh, my grandparents came there in 1919 in this site I'm telling you about. And my grandfather had a farm that pretty much started about four or five blocks from here, ran along Glenwood Road, and was about two or three acres in its size at the time. And in those days, Canarsie was a very unique place. It uh, had its built-up area, which was built in the early 1920s, uh, late teens, early 20s. And then it had what they called the back. And the back was the area from about East 88th Street to Ralph Avenue, from Foster Avenue, all the way down to Paddockett Creek over here, to all those, that whole area south of Flatlands Avenue. And it was called the back because it really had almost no homes. It had a bunch of summer bungalows. And those bungalows were mainly inhabited by uh, Sicilian Italians who came from Ridgewood, Brooklyn, and that was on the L line. Now, many people see, the, they hear about the L train today. What the, most people don't know is the L train originates in Canarsie. It actually originally started in uh, at uh, the foot of Seaview Pier, which is down on the end of Rockaway Parkway and the Belt Parkway. And this was a time when there was no Bell Parkway. And that area was, in fact, an amusement park from the late 1800s into around the late 1920s. And it was called Golden City Amusement Park. And the train actually ran to where it is on Rockway Parkway now. And then you switched to a trolley that rolled all the way down Rockway Parkway. Actually, at the time, the train ran in the middle of a, a whole bunch of empty land that was called the Long Island Railroad Cut, that's still there in many places, and then was replaced by the trolley on Rockaway Parkway. So this was a pretty, pretty much rural area which had a lot of Italian immigrants who utilized it, and it was their summer homes. You know, if you lived over in Ridgewood or Bushwick, you lived in these four-story frame walk-ups with no fans and no air conditioning and other amenities we have today. And this was like their way of coming to the country, and it reminded them of the place that they originated from. So that became my home and the home of about uh, 47 of my relatives, my immediate relatives. So I can remember a time when I had um, all of my aunts and uncles, all of my first cousins, and all of my friends lived within that little six-block area from, from Ramson Avenue down to maybe 80, what's now 80th Street, East 80th Street, so. It's a great thing. So my connection with this library is pretty much goes back to when the day it was built. Uh, prior to this library being built in the 1960s, by the way, the very, I think it was 19, late 1950s they built this library. Okay, we had no libraries in this area. The closest library was the Canossi Library, which was located back then on Glenwood Road and East 95th Street. And it, it's there, the building is still there today. And right next to it was the 69th Precinct Police Precinct, 
which also was at that, that site until in the early 1970s. So it's a real connection. Glenwood Road has a real connection. But I'm really saying a misnomer because back in those days, we didn't have a Glenwood Road. It ended at East 83rd Street. And there was no Farragut Road because that ended at East 87th Street. So we would walk through empty fields and paths to come here. There was no ability to come here by car. You would walk here. And that went on right pretty much till pretty close to the end of the 1950s before they actually built, began building what we call the new homes, which were all these brick-attached homes that are in these blocks surrounding Paddockett Library. When the library was built, there was maybe only, there was the housing project, what we now we call it uh, other things, but Glenwood Houses was here, which was built in 1949, and almost nothing else. I mean, it literally was the, the, the housing development and then the library and this whole end of, uh, and crossed away from the library was an amusement park, well, a miniature amusement park where they had kiddie rides and things like that. And where South, uh, South Shore High School is now, which is right across from the library on Ralph Avenue, that was empty lots that was utilized for junkyards and the corner being what was kind of old-fashioned, they used to call it the Rodeo Grill, which is great, an old-fashioned hamburger place that was there. So it was a pretty unique place to live in back then. And uh, the only thing you, you knew for sure you were in this area was because the Paddock Creek Pumping Station, which is also visible from the library, okay, usually belch out its fumes as the uh, waters came through and all the sewage would come through into the creeks. So we had a pretty unique place here. You can get, you got the sights, the sounds, and the smells of all of our neighborhood standing in front of the Paddockett Library. So, now, reason why the library is important to me, well, I know you got some other questions, so why don't you do the next um, question? No, <laughs> well, no, you're doing fine. Um, and, and, you know, walking down the reflective paths is really bringing our listeners to what Paddockett looks like for you. Um, here during the initial groundbreaking? Or I, I, was, I was very young. and the, 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 I must have been about 10 years old when they actually built this library in the late 50s. And, uh, and we were all excited because it was finally a place that was close by that we could utilize. And, you know, back in the 1950s and 60s, and I guess we can go right up into the 90s, there really wasn't many other ways to have a, an ability to, to learn except through books. And the books that the library held were, were, were truthfully the treasure that all of us looked to uh, because we didn't have, the exception of so few who had what they called an encyclopedia back then. You were lucky if your family could afford us an encyclopedia. And other than that, you'd have to come to the library for every resource that you needed for school. And it was unique for me because I would go to, um, at the time, I went to uh, John Wilson Jr. High School which is located on East 100th Street. Again, in the middle of a totally empty area of land was this school built. And we'd have the choice of either going to the Canarsie Library on our way home, or if we were home, over to this library to be able to do our studying. So now why this place? Now I can tell you that the rest of the area was also as rural as I've explained to you, with the Ralph Avenue area, the shopping centers that are here now weren't there. There was a miniature golf course that was on there. And the first substantial building that was built is what's now the P.C. Richards building, which was really the Gil Hodges bowling alley that was built. But there was no Georgetown, which is the neighborhood that's west 
east of the Ralph Air, on the Ralph Avenue side, south of Flatlands. There was no Futurama, which is the area that's south of Flatlands on this side of Ralph Avenue, meaning the west side. And Flatlands, which is this, the area that the library is part of, was really just beginning to be developed. So we had the entire, we had Glenwood houses and a lot of empty lots. And slowly but surely in the 50s, we saw this area develop and watched homes, be one and two family homes being built. So, now what makes Glenwood houses so unique was, they were Glenwood houses along with Seaview, uh, with, uh, with uh, Bayview houses and Brookline houses were three uh, housing developments that were built here in this community. And all three of them were built for returning veterans who had served in World War II and uh, to try and help and assist in this really, really shortage of housing that was needed for all these millions of soldiers who came home and now began starting their families. And they were all built about the same time in the late 1940s. And a very, a project that was monumental when we look at it today, because they started building these in 1946, 47, and they were completed by 1949. When do you see anything get done that fast today anymore? But they all managed to take the veterans, mostly veterans who were serving in World War II and becoming homes for their families. And Glenwood has continued to be that kind of a place. So now my connection with Glenwood goes back a little bit more. It goes back to 1965 when I first graduated high school and I needed to get a job. In January of 1965, I was looking for employment. And I had this great opportunity. A friend of mine was the manager of a bank. And he said to me, uh, he would offer me a job that paid $75 a week. This is 1965. And I had to wear a suit and tie every day and pretty much have to worry about where I was going to have lunch and how to get to the, to the bank itself because it was a little bit out of the neighborhood. And another friend had worked here as what we call the supervisor, a foreman, in Glenwood houses, and uh, and they had an opening for what they call the caretaker's position. And a caretaker is someone, basically, is a janitor who cleans the buildings of the project. And they had an opening there for that paid $85 a week, plus overtime on the weekends, and they got an extra $20 a weekend, $25 a weekend for working, plus what was great about it, they gave you uniforms, and I could walk here every day from my home. So what could be better than that? So there I was in Glenwood Houses working in 19, January of 1965. That began my career and my real love affair with this library. So now, uh, I've had many, many careers since that day in 1965, but the one that was propelled me to some of the things I am to now was a result of my ability to use this library. Patagon Branch was an island of sanity in the world of so much conflict. And it would be a place I would come to every day at lunchtime to take and study for the various civil service exams that were given for the police, the fire, the sanitation, many of the other civil service jobs that were around. And now what I would do that is I would take the books from here from the library that they had, and they would have study books for these tests. And every day come and sit here and take those tests and repeat them and repeat them. And without exaggeration, I did that pretty much for about eight or nine months before the test came on. And because of my efforts here, and the help, by the way, of the librarians and others who are very, very 
uh, in those days and still are, you know, very, very quality people. And I wound up becoming, I, uh, and I took the tests, and I had, if you understand the civil service list, the higher the number you are on the list, the better chance you have a be of appointment. So I was number 27 out of thousands on the New York City Police Department list. I was number nine on the housing, back then there were different police departments. I was number nine on the housing police list, number 17 on the transit police list, and number 30 on the fire department list. So I did very, very well, and it's only because I was able to come here each day and have the solitude of this environment to be able to take those tests and study for them and work on time and time again until I was well prepared when the time came that I had to take the actual exam. I wound up getting called for the police department, New York City Police Department first, and I took that position because uh, it was the first one to be called. And uh, I don't know if the others would have called me. You know, I, I, I'm a great believer in faith and in destiny, and I think that was my destiny to be on that particular police department, and I was. It was a very successful career for me as a result. So, so there I am right here, and uh, here at the ripe old age of 20 and nine months, being very excited about working for over two years in Glenwood Houses, and then work studying here each day, and finding that the result of that was what led to the beginning of my career in public service. So um, do you have a lot of uh, friends in this community? That All my here? friends, I have many, many friends in this community. <laughs> so if you've, uh, as a matter of fact, anybody who comes from this community usually comes to my house around Christmas time, because I put up a few Christmas lights on Flatlands Avenue and East 93rd Street, where I moved to for a while, and we put up an entire Christmas display that is the most renowned Christmas display in the city of New York, with over $350,000 worth of Christmas decorations, and all kinds of animated dolls, and all kinds of uh, different... Uh, window displays that are a great, great pleasure for the kids to look at. And we just opened those lights on Wednesday, on Sunday night, and I've done that for the 29th year in a row that I've been doing it, and it had been done prior to me in a much smaller scale. <laughs> so this is a neighborhood where I grew up in, a neighborhood which I have great regard for and a great deal of love and passion for, and a neighborhood that has constantly been the source of encouragement to people. What's wonderful, you know, although this is what they call the Paddockett Library, it really is the extension of the Canarsie community. And these communities have always been middle-income communities, and mostly middle-income Im immigrants, people who've gone to that first opportunity to buy their first home. And that's what's so exciting about it many times, is that we have people, generation after generation of immigrants from all over the world, Originally started with the Dutch. We get around and say, you know, the Canarsie Indians were here. And they were first here, and they dealt with the Dutch back then, selling them pieces of land that they didn't even own, but they sold it to them anyway, and had the original Dutch settlers set here in this entire community. This was farmland for many, many, many years. And it's hard to perceive today because of different things that occurred and the, and the involvement of a, of a uh, of our community, generations of such. But that's how it started. And then it went, and then it continued on to the English. And then in this particular area was a very large German 
and uh, German community that came here. And then finally in the, uh, in the 50s, in the 30s, the 20s and 30s were Italians. And then it developed mm -hmm. into, and, and then it became as the uh, communities continued to grow and change, it became the uh, Jewish, uh, a large Jewish community that had moved south from Brownsville in East New York. And today it's probably the most middle income Caribbean community in the city of New York. We have, uh, I think, 47 different countries represented in Canarsie from every island in the Caribbean, including that one that's way far over to the east, Sicily. <laughs> so tell us something about your family life growing up. Well, growing up here was a great adventure. I went to public school 114, which is on Remsen Avenue and Glenwood Road. Now, if you think of Glenwood Road, think of Glenwood Road as one of the last outposts in this part of the world, because it was one of the few streets that went down to East 83rd Street, which is where we lived. And it wasn't paved. Glenwood Road, for where I lived, wasn't paved until the mid-50s, around 57, 58, yeah, 58, I think it was, before it actually was paved as a paved street and had sidewalks. So you can imagine, and we would use that. It was wonderful because Glenwood Road at East 83rd Street was the end of the paved street. So every, we used to have maybe a car come down about once an hour as compared to when you see the traffic that's there today. And that was basically our ball field. And we would spend many a summer. I can remember being 10 years old and finding in the intersection of what's now East 84th Street and Glenwood Road a very large garden snake under a rock and took it home as my pet for, for a long period of time. That's the kind of community this was. And most of what happened was in the 1940s, the late 1940s, the sewer system. There was no sewer system here until that time. And the sewer system was developed and it was and it was and it was brought here, on and uh, we had, that's what raised what we call raised the streets. If you ever drive through some of these side streets, I was just noticing it when it came down. You'll see that a lot of the homes that are built they have these low driveways. You know, they they have an entrance to the backyard, and that's because that was the level of the street at the time. So we didn't have the street was that low, and it, in, in in the late 40s they put in the sewer system. Now, what that did was two things. One, it leveled off all the streets to the level that they're on today, what we call street level. And it, it took all that farmland that I told you about and really made it a, uh, uh, a, uh, a like, rather than, than the open land, it made these embankments that cause all of this land to just sit, sit there and really not be utilized as much for, for farmland. Because what would happen when it rained was the water would go down and it became very swampy. So a good part of this area was swampy in those days because of that. So it's a really interesting place to grow up because it's like growing up in the country. And our greatest thing would be, I can remember being 10 years old and going over to what is now Paddocky Creek and tying a bunch of logs together and grabbing a long tree limb and actually sailing out on the, floating out on the creek with about four or five logs tied together by rope, pretty much like Tom Sawyer did on the Mississippi. So... We had, and this, this is our experience. And of course, we never ever bought a Spalding ball. Now, that's maybe an unheard of thing. What a Spal Most people don't know what a Spalding ball is, but it's a rubber ball that you play handball with or anything like that. And the reason we didn't is because all the sewers emptied into Paddock Creek and Spring Creek back then. 
So you would find that no every week gets we have Spalding balls floating all over the place, and we would be taking them out and washing them off, and they became our play toys because of that. And there were a lot of dumps here in those days, on Flatlands Avenue, where where um, the school is now, were were really legitimate dumps, dumping places for for from debris and things. And I got my first bicycle out of. Uh, the uh, pile in uh, in over here on Flatlands Avenue, uh, where where is now? As a matter of fact, I got my first car out of there, a junkyard on Flatlands Avenue, what's now probably the entrance to uh, South Shore High School. I remember it like now, 1965. My I got a 1956 Ford Fairlane convertible for fifty dollars. That was the cost of the car. The insurance was two hundred. It cost more than the car itself. And I would drive that car around. It was nothing like being 18 years old and owning a convertible in the neighborhood in those days. And that was a great, great pleasure. Just to have a lot of fun with that. So I originally went to Tilden High School because there was no Canarsie High School or South Shore High School. And if you lived in this area of Brooklyn, Rockway Parkway was like a borderline. If you lived east of Rockway Parkway, meaning going out towards, towards East New York, you went to Thomas Jefferson High School. If you lived west of Rockway Parkway, you went to Tilden High School. Those were the only two high schools. And we had what we called triple session back then because the community had grown so large that we would have three and 4,000 students in the school itself. I think my graduating class was like 850 or 900 students at the time when I graduated high school. So you can imagine that today most schools aren't that big high schools, but that was the way it was then. And we all graduated, everybody graduated out of Lois King's Theater, which just reopened, by the way. Uh, Lois King's on Flappershire Avenue by Albemarle Road, and it just recently opened as a, as a theater venue, but that was the place everyone went to graduate because it was the only, the only building big enough to accommodate those large classes of students and their parents. So it's been a pretty nice experience growing there. What's that? Brooklyn oh, Brooklyn College has been around since the 30s. As a matter of fact, Brooklyn College is where I went to school. I went at night to Brooklyn College, and it took me 15 years to graduate, but I did. I started when I was in my early 20s and graduated when I was 35, so 13 years it took me to graduate, but we went at night. Back then, if you, had, you worked during the day, it was one of the few schools that offered night classes, and we would go, and thanks to a thing called open enrollment, I was able to go back in the early 70s when I first started. I couldn't go to school when I first graduated high school because college because my family was very poor and I needed to work in order to help assist my mom and my other five brothers and sisters. So uh, my dad had been gone for quite a while by then. And uh, we, uh, my mom raised six kids by herself in that same little house that's still there. As a matter of fact, I just passed it, and I saw that someone built a new stoop in the front. We were talked about building that stoop for about 50 years, and somebody actually just built one on my way here, so it was interesting. Uh, every once in a while, I've stopped by there just to look at the house and see what it looks like. And I had my entire family living in like a three-block area. My uncles and aunts and everybody, and everybody knew everybody. It was not like you could do anything in this neighborhood wrong because they'd be running over to tell your grandmother, your mother, or your aunt or something, you know. And we had no buses in the, in the 1950s. The only buses we had here in Canarsie 
was the beast uh, was the uh, 60 Wilson, which came down Rockaway Parkway and traveled up into Ridgewood and Bushwick. And we had uh, the 17 Remsen, which left from Utica Avenue and Eastern Parkway and came down again, ended at the Rockaway Parkway train station. It came down from Remsen Avenue. There were two routes, one that went up to Glenwood Road and then up to the uh, train station, and the other that went down to Seaview Avenue, down to Bayview Houses. And that was it. There was no other buses until the late 90, the mid-60s, I think, when we got the B6. We were all excited. We had an actual bus that can go to another part of Brooklyn. And today we have about nine bus lines. So it's very interesting to see. And I, it, this was a community that truly grew as New York grew. As New York City grew, so did Canarsie and, and, and Pat, Flatlands and the Paddington area. It's absolutely a great place to grow up. It was... It was like being in your own country home all summer long. Your brother and sister, they still living around here? Three of us do. One is in Florida and two live in, uh, I call it East Cupcake, Lake Wanconca, or Lake Wanconca, New York. I have two brothers who live there. But everyone was here until they were adults. So, and we have four generations of kids in PS 114, my parents and my aunts and uncles all went to PS 114, and I and my brothers and sisters and all my first cousins, and then my children and a lot of my nieces and nephews, and even a fourth generation, my great niece and nephew who went to 114 and graduated from there. So we have a long history with that school. Is there anything else that you didn't get a chance to touch on that you want to share? Well, I, I think if I had to speak about the greatest memories I have of this community and about the library itself, is how much, how much I didn't realize how good it was for me until I reflected back in life and then saw and realized that what I did here, just out of a whim, out of a thought of saying, oh, this is, it's nice and quiet there, let me go over there, that how much that made a difference in the entire circumstance of my life. It was like, it was a foundation from this building. I received a foundation that allowed me to build in my mind a mansion of activity. So I'm always very, very appreciative of that. And I'm very supportive of the libraries because I don't think that young people really appreciate what's here or get enough time to it. And you know, in, in my day, my mom had to raise six kids, so I pretty much had to do things myself. But it's unfortunate because so many children today don't have the library. Uh, their parents are too busy to get them here. And we have all these other distractions which do nothing for you educationally. Uh, and sometimes I wonder if they even do anything for us entertainment-wise. But that they're, they're losing that great opportunity to learn from the best place in the whole world, the, the fountain of, of education. It's not the schools, it's the libraries and what we do after we finish with school. Absolutely right. Um, any lasting, any lasting words? Well, if I had to give anything, I want to encourage our young people today. And today I can say that with a lot of authority since I'm old. Uh, I'm going to be 70 years old next year and, uh, and uh, lived a long life here. I've spent almost all 70 of I spent the entire 70 years of my life in 10 blocks, within 10 blocks of this building. 
that I think if I had to give any encouragement to anyone, it is take the time to read, take the time to learn. Uh, I, when I was very young, I never considered myself a great reader, but I would come here and read comic books. There was a book called Classics Illustrated. Now, why did I do that? Because when I had to study for back in my time, if you had to take an exam, you had to do something in English or one of those classes. Uh, Classics Illustrated was like the shortcut. So if you read the comic book version of Tom Sawyer, you got like all the bare facts. It was enough to get me through. But little did I know that all of that reading that I was doing every week got me to the point of having an excellent ability to read. And I think that's the most important thing that people can do today. Being able to read and being able to write well is one of the most key ingredients to success. You can only talk so much, you have to be able to do. And your ability to communicate in writing and your ability to read and understand what's before you, it makes the difference in how successful you are in your life. Well, thank you so much for visiting us today. You're welcome.